One size fits all seemed like a good idea for clothes. Nice dress. Uh, it's a it's a T-shirt. Until you tried it on. Same goes for your health care. That's why United Healthcare offers a variety of flexible, budget-friendly coverage for medical, vision, dental, and more. So whether you're between jobs, coming off a parent's plan, or even missed open enrollment, you can find the plan that fits you best. Find out more about United Healthcare coverage at uh1.com. That's uh1.com. This is Good Humans podcast with me, Cooper Chapman chatting to the world's best about the inspiring stories that got them to where they are today. What's going on, you good humans? Welcome to guest episode 98 of Good Humans Podcast. Today's episode is with the legend Mark Luch Luciari. And far out, this is going to blow your mind. This might be one of the craziest stories I've ever heard, and you're going to absolutely love it. A big thank you once again to our sponsors, Drinker Rapper. They continue to support this podcast and fuel my brain and so many of yours. I love getting messages from you legends, tagging me in your Instagrams, tagging Drinker Rapper, and letting me know that you're seeing benefits from the product. It means nothing. It, like, it means the world to me to know that my podcast can be sponsored by a product that I truly believe in that I use every single day and I see so many benefits from. It's a brain performance drink for anyone who hasn't heard about it. It's a New Zealand neuroberry pine bark extract and L-theanine, all natural ingredients made over in New Zealand. And there's so much great neuroscience that's gone into it. I've spoken to the owners and also the lead neuroscientists on this podcast. Go back and check them out. If you want to grab some, head over to their website, drinkarepper.com. Use the code GOODHUMAN. You get a massive 25% off. Also, check it out, Coles Woolworths. You'll see it in the cold section, uh, the little purple drink in a glass bottle. It's delicious, and it looks very pretty as well. So go check out Drinker Epper. They're legends, and are going to continue to support this podcast. Also, it would mean the absolute world to me if you could go and check out the Good Human Factory new merch range, the Change Your World collection. I've put so much time and energy into this. I've upgraded quality. We've gone a higher-quality shirt, a higher-quality hoodie. We've got some really dope trackies ready for winter. And yeah, I've, like I said, invested a lot of time and energy into this merch range because I wanted to give you all a piece of the good human factory that you could wear proudly. You're all part of this community and our role in this world is to make other people's lives better, to share our knowledge, to share what we learn and try and help other people. And that's what this merch range is all about. The Change Your World collection is giving you a piece of the good human factory to wear that has simple messages like, what are you grateful for? Be kind to your mind. And by sharing these messages, people subconsciously read them or consciously read them and come up to you and start great conversations. And yeah, it helps change their world. So head over to thegoodhumanfactory.com, use the code podcast. You get a massive 25% off and it would mean the world to me to see you guys support the merch because yeah, I think it's going to make a big difference in your world. Also, if you're enjoying the podcast, go hit that five-star button leave us a little review or just hit that follow button. Come back and check out some of the other episodes. There's so much great stuff coming up over the next couple months. And yeah, can't wait to share it with you. All right. So today's episode, Mark Luciari. This guy has had one of the craziest stories I've ever heard. He's just done so much and yeah, is a happy, healthy and awesome dude. So he grew up on the Gold Coast and was a little bit of a rough kid. He would let you know and he had something happen early in his life. His dad uh, took his own life and that was something that really shaped Mark to be the guy he is and he talks a lot about it to start this episode. He then goes on to talk about doing his plumbing apprenticeship and being a plumber, having a kid young, having um, a kid when he was 20 years old but the way he speaks about this really, really impressed me. He decided I'm going to be the best father I can be. I didn't get that opportunity when I was growing up and no matter what happens in my relationship, I'm going to be a good dad. He's still with his partner. His son's 22, just bought his own house. Absolutely legendary dad. But then through his 20s, Mark decided, you know what? I want to be a professional wakeboarder. So he did that for a few years. He then got into Muay Thai when he was in his late 20s and fell in love with it, spent some time in um, Thailand. Him and his son both got into professional Muay Thai fighting and he ended up winning an Australian title. He then went on to win this crazy Australian Tough Man Championship, which you're going to be blown away by that story. And then he's also a mad extreme sport athlete from um, skydiving, which he's had two absolutely insane near-death experiences, which he talks in depth about in this episode. You're going to be blown away by. And then he, um, yeah, now he's starting to work in the charity space to develop an app that's going to really help a lot of charities and people out. So 
This guy has had a life of just craziness and I'm sure you're going to love this episode. So let's jump into it. Welcome to Good Humans Podcast, Mike Luciari. How you going, That's mate? That's the one. Really good, man. Really good. Thanks. Uh, it's good to be here. Mate, yeah. it's so nice to have you in my little bedroom studio. I've just yeah, done mate. back-to-back podcasts, so the brain's all fired up. I'm ready to go and I'm... Um, very intrigued by your story. You sound like you've had a, quite the journey and we're going to learn some really interesting stuff today. I've had um, Harry Bink lined us up to catch up, a great friend of mine, a massive mentor. Um, you are to him. So he's like, you've got to get Luch on. He's going to yeah. blow your mind and I'm sure my audience is going to love getting to know you while I get to know you as well. Yeah, yeah, mate. Yeah, um, like I said, it's an honour to be here and yeah, thanks to Harry for connecting us. For yeah, sure. so the first question I open every Good Humans podcast with is very similar. So, well, it is the same question. So what it is, is what are you grateful for right now? Being alive, man. Living, like, and actually being alive. Like, um, having the tools and the mindset to actually live life, not just freaking exist. exist. Yeah, Beautiful. not just uh, survive, actually live life, you know, to the fullest. So, um a lot of things got me to to this spot, to where I am, and uh, yeah, I'm just grateful for all the little things that happened to me, traumatic, amazing, yeah, all the in betweens. Yeah. So yeah, well, I'm excited. Yeah, I'm excited to get to know them all because um, yeah, it sounds like you have had a crazy journey, and we're gonna work our way through it right now. So Sweet. before we kick off, I have shown you quickly. Um, our sponsor is Drink a Rapper, the brain performance drink, all natural, three ingredients. Um, New Zealand Neuroberry, pine bark extract, and L-theanine. Basically taking the world by storm. You know um, quite a lot, I'm sure, about performance and the importance of taking care of yourself. This is a product that I'm going to get you some to take home with you today because it's um it's an amazing product. It takes care of our brain short-term and long-term. So we're going to open it. You're going to try it for the first time. Awesome. Do you like black currant flavor? I do, I do. Okay. And like, yeah, it looks like I This I'm is like pretty it. strong, this one. The it is, performance yeah. performance yeah. is strong, so we're going to be fired up. So Perfect. cheers, mate. Cheers, man. You. Welcome. Um, delicious. Oh yeah. oh yeah, man, that's nice. It's nice. refreshing. I feel Good. smarter already. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> well, I'm going to send you home with a case, and you can um let me know what you think of it. Perfect. But let's Take um the world. let's get into your mm, story. That's really good. Let's rewind back to the start. And yeah, where'd you grow up? What was life like as a kid? You told me off air you did have some trauma as a kid, as much as you're willing to share. But yeah, what what shaped you as the man you are from that sort of formative years? Yeah. Um. Yeah, look, so I was born in Melbourne, Victoria, uh, actually in Ferntree Gully in uh, Melbourne. And, um, yeah, I had a, a life tra- a traumatic incident I, I um, which shaped my life pretty much, you know, from the very start. Uh, I lost my dad to suicide as I think I was five, about turned six. Uh, and it literally has shaped, my, shaped me who I am these days. Kind of, so I got a pretty big taste of trauma and, and what life is really about at a young age. And um, like when uh, one of the biggest things, moments in my life was when we were burying my dad. Um, uh, one of my uncles, one of the men there grabbed me and goes, you're the man of this family now. He goes, don't you ever let another man tell you different. You know, this is your family, you're the man. And literally it's been how, it's, how I've lived my life. Um, wow. Yeah, so it was, you know, like unfortunately it stole a lot of my childhood memories. I don't have many good childhood memories. Um, Do you have any siblings? I've got a sister, yeah, yeah, a younger sister. So she doesn't really remember my dad at all or any of the stuff. Now, now look, uh, as much as every boy's dad is their hero, uh, my dad was a super violent man and it was a violent uh, upbringing for, for my mum. We were living in refuges and, and stuff like that. And, you know, the amazing woman that she is, she, she got through it all and brought us up. And um, But, yeah, uh, even though I have memories of a lot of violence from my dad and from ongoing partners, after that, um, still every boy's hero is their dad and, and mine still is as well, even, you know, mm-hmm. I think my mum doesn't like me saying that because, um, you know, she's the one that brought me up and made me who I am. But the act of what he did and the act of, of a dad is, is what shaped me and it still does to this day, whether it was such a traumatic thing. But, um, yeah, that's why I am the person I am, I suppose. Yeah, wow, man. Thanks for sharing that. It's it's, it's so gnarly. Like people have to go through something like that at such a young age, grow up without your biological dad there helping you become a man. So what was school like for you then once you went into school, once you're doing primary school, let's say, even let's fast forward to high school, what was the high school experience like for you coming from, I guess, a broken family? Yeah, look, um, it was it was fun. Like high school was pretty cool. It was pretty fun. I um, wasn't the most popular kid but was in the popular group. 
But I, I kind of, I got through high school with uh, aggression, a bit of aggression. I, I was a pretty, I was a pretty violent kid myself. Um, uh, not towards, uh, definitely not towards the weaker, not definitely not towards females like I'd witnessed my whole life. But and not towards weaker people, just more towards bullies. I kind of hated men a lot, so I was a bit bigger than most of the kids. So I, my group of friends, I was kind of the defender, yeah, I suppose. Closer. Yeah, you know. Um, we were all young surfers growing up on the Goldie and getting in trouble and, you know, the boys would get in the shit and I would, I would finish How it. How old are you? I'm 44. Do you know if, like, you would have been a few years older than Fisher and stuff? Yeah, yeah, yeah. 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 So he was at, like, you know, I've come from Strike Force Muay Thai gym. Um, you know, he he was there training and, yeah, all that crew, uh, yeah, a bit, bit younger crew, but, huh. yeah, yeah, we're Fisher's all kind my brother-in-law. Oh, really? There yeah. you go, yeah. Yeah, we're all kind of connected uh, so, you know, we were Burley boys, so on Miami Burley boys, so yeah. Wow. Yeah. So it's a small world, mate. <laughs> where'd you go to school? Miami High. Oh no, I've yeah. spoken there a few times. Yeah, really? Yeah, yeah. So going through school, where did you sort of have your vision set where your future was gonna be? You said um you're training at the Muay Thai gym. I know you're Australian champ at Muay Thai and we'll catch up to that part of your story, but Throughout high school, where did you potentially see your future going? Man, I literally had no idea at all. Like I was playing, I actually, I, I, a bit of a, a lie there. I was playing footy as AFL for the Burley Bombers. And I had this dream of maybe being an AFL player, being a professional athlete, I think like every mm. every kid does. But in kind of career goals and um, buying a house, all that, like nothing at all really. Like... Um, we were a quite a well-off family before my before my dad passed away and we lost everything after that. And I think my mum was just in survival mode. So all I saw was that kind of below the poverty line kind of family. Like not that we were super poor, but there was just never that set of buying a car or a house or anything like that. So I didn't really have any goals or visions except for maybe being a you know, professional footy player. Uh, I didn't have any idea about career or anything like that. But um, I, I was lucky enough to fall into a, into a trade Kind of after year 10, I left school and I was just hanging out with one of the footy guys and um, I was down at his his house and his dad owned a plumbing company and his mum loved me and she was like, what are you doing after year 10? Or what are you going back to school? And I was like, oh, I'm, I'm not. I don't think I'm allowed. But um, she was like, well, go down and ask Big Jed for an apprenticeship. And he was this big, scary man, you know, when you're 15, it's kind of your mate's dad is <laughs> a pretty scary guy. And I was like, no, I can't do that. And she's like, well, you wait here. I'll go down and see him. And then she comes back up and goes, go down and see him in his office. And I went down and he's like, you want an apprenticeship? I'm like, yeah. <laughs> I didn't even know what a freaking apprenticeship was, really. <laughs> he's like, well, you start tomorrow. So that was like literally the day after finishing year 10 and had no holidays and straight into into a plumbing apprenticeship, which I probably didn't appreciate at the time. But now, yeah, man, I'm pretty thankful for, for them giving me the opportunity. So you're a plumber now? Yeah, I am, yeah. And you got yep. a plumbing business? And I've got a plumbing business, yeah. I've always had a plumbing business. I always try to get away from it though. Like, um, I kind of hate plumbing, but mm. um, yeah, like I always try to get away from it. But it's something you'd always go back to, you know. I yeah. tried all these different sports and all these different little, you know, everything different. And a lot of people didn't even know I was a plumber because they thought I was a professional athlete for years. Yeah. And I just had a little side gig always going. Usually have a couple of contractors working for me. See, I think it's uh, I personally, if I wasn't getting paid to surf when I was already in year 10, 11. So like staying in school was a pretty easy path for me. But I think like if you're not like pretty set on going to uni, I think dropping out and doing an apprenticeship and being like finished your apprenticeship at like 19, 20 is like one of the smartest career paths for like, especially for a young guy who doesn't really know what they want to do. Yeah. It just seems like such a good one to be able to do your four years. You've got something to lean back on. And yeah, I'm sure probably looking back, you're like, oh, it's so good to, have that from a young age rather than so many finish school and then go to a trade. It's oh, like you're two years ahead. For sure. And I've seen it happen with mates that will go into private schools and that and they finish year 12 and then become plumbers. Yeah. And I'm two years ahead. And it's, I've been lucky enough to pass on to my older son. I've got a 20, 24 today, actually. He's yeah. his birthday today. And he bought his first house at 22. He left school in year 10. Um, and yeah, uh, started working for me. He's, he's like three years out or four years out of his apprenticeship already. And, uh, yeah, got his got his own home, and my youngest son, he's uh, fifteen. He just finished year nine last year, and he's not gone back to year ten. He's started an apprenticeship with me as well, and no. his goal is to beat his brother and buy in a house. He wants one by twenty. So good on him. Yeah, you know, like look, and they're both quite. They're not. They weren't not academic at school, but just like you said, they didn't want to follow a path of a career that needed a lot more schooling. 
So why waste another couple of years? Like, you know, you know, having a house at 22, like that's pretty crazy for my oldest boy, you know, like so. I'll tell you what else is crazy, start. having a house at 22 by, if my math is correct, you had a kid at 20. Yeah, I did, man. Yeah, so let's yeah. talk about that. You go from finishing school quite young, apprenticeship. You must have just finished your apprenticeship. Did yeah. you have a partner from high school that you were with for a while? And Yeah, um, well, so my partner, which I'm still with today, uh, her name's Portoini. She's a Maldi girl that's been over here for a long, long time. We were in year six together in primary school. <laughs> uh, she was a completely different group. She was, uh, she was the Palmy crew. She was hanging out with all the gangs in the shopping centres. You know, they were, they were doing some bad shit. And um, we knew each other through uh, primary school and then into high school. She went off, got expelled from nearly every school on the Gold Coast, I think. And we met at 18. I think, oh, she was 18 and I just turned 19 because I'm nearly a year older. And yeah, literally, I was moving to Canada, going over there with the boys, snowboarding like a lot of the, the crew kind of did back then. And we kind of just hooked up for a bit and she fell pregnant. So I was like, all right, well, here we go. I'm, you know. It's time to be, committed. be a man, yeah. And I think this is a big part. Like I've seen a couple of friends back then had kids quite young and took off, you know, like, and I and they they had stable families. They had a mum and dad where I didn't. So I was like, fuck no, man. I'm, I know what it feels yeah. like to not have somebody there. Yeah, I'm being this kid's dad. Whether we're together or not, I'm here for that kid, you know. So, yeah. So that was, um, I just turned 20 and she put her when he was 19 when he was born. Wow. Yeah, yeah. So, man, you got a 24-year-old kid. It's pretty really? crazy. How's that being a young dad? Uh, Tough. Yeah, time. yeah. Like, man, I didn't even know how to look after myself. Like, mm. yeah, we were just kids ourselves. I didn't even have a dad, so I didn't even know what a dad was meant to do, you know? Mm. Like, so I was just winging it all. Like, I was still learning to be a man. Yeah. And, uh, you know, I hadn't even bought my first car yet or anything, so I was still learning to be a man. And then I had to teach this kid to be, or, you know, be a role model for this kid, but... I actually found it pretty easy because like love comes for free, man. And you don't need money or anything like that to love a kid and, and give a kid a good life. All you need is, you know, good morals and, and love. And like that shit comes easy when it's your when it's your own kid. Like, man, there was times there we literally were eating two minute noodles just to put nappies on our on Keems and we had furniture made out of milk crates and literally had a TV that was sitting on top of another TV that was broken and my friend gave me a car, you know, like we were grinding yeah man yeah but we still had an amazing life you know and we're giving it was and we was giving our son an amazing life or what we thought was an amazing life i suppose yeah good on you so at this stage you've just sort of like finished doing your apprenticeship you're working as a plumber then full-time to try and get by because where does your uh, muay thai and fighting and stuff come in well yeah that comes in uh, like i knew yes yeah, so i was working as a as a plumber i just finished my apprenticeship um I, uh, yeah, lost my, I had a brand new Commodore Ute that uh, got stolen. The insurance wasn't up today. Uh, I got ripped off by them. You know, if I knew a bit more or had a bit more of an adult influence from someone, I could have it's got a it. a hard thing. I always think that, like, the amount of people that must, like, do their insurance, their tax and stuff wrong because we don't get taught it at school. But then it's like a lot of people don't have family figures that can teach them either. So, like, so many people must get, like, stuck in limbo and be like, Oh, I didn't even know there was a thing to do, pay tax and get exactly. to like, yeah, like, And this is what you should be learning at school. Like exactly. once you get past year nine or whatever, this is, or even year eight is you should be learning this shit. Like yeah. not Shakespeare and freaking mm. algebra and all this other stuff. You should that learn you, how to manage your well-being, manage your finances, manage your like emotional intelligence. Yeah, yeah exactly. So learn how to be, how to be a man or, yeah. or a woman and actually live life. Not, yeah. Yeah. It's, it's crazy. The school system is so flawed it's a whole subject we could go down and mm. we could sit here for days but yeah. um yeah i feel it's super flawed and one of my hence one of the reasons why i let my younger son finish in year nine and and leave you know but um yeah yeah so so yeah i was um an apprentice lost my car was riding to work for like months and months with two buckets of tools on my handlebars a bag of <laughs> Tools on my back. I'd have to ride from Burley to Southport, rain, hail, or shine, just trying to make enough money to buy a car, you know, so then we could get this kid around and and shit like that. So, um, yeah, there was that. And then, uh, yeah, kind of ended up getting the car and oh, I was wakeboarding at the time. So I was just wakeboarding with a couple of mates just for fun. And then we went out with a guy, uh, took uh, Greg Fels on, his name was, Felzuni. He's still kind of still around, old Felzuni. And uh, he just won the Aussie, Aussie titles and... 
he came out riding with us and he saw me ride. He's like, man, you're good. Like you can ride pro. Like he goes, but you can't work and, and ride pro at the same time you know, and, and be a professional at the same time. Had you so, been riding much, wakeboarding? Yeah, I'd be, well, we were wakeboarding every day or yeah, every afternoon or every weekend. And um, I went from wakeboarding behind a fishing boat to uh, I met a really good ma- guy called Mel, uh, still one of my best mates these days. And he had a, a wake setter, you know, the proper wakeboarding boat and started riding with him. And then that's how we kind of met Falzuni and a few of the professionals that were on the coast. And um, yeah, they were like, man, you should start competing. And I went home and said to the missus, I'm quitting work. I'm going to be a wakeboarder. And uh, look, me, me and Mel started a wakeboard school at that stage and uh, I had a few little other things going. I was kind of DJing as well at the time and uh, I still kept the plumbing going a little bit, but, you know, like, um, yeah, and so I started. Sort of fall back on. How are you making ends meet then? Are we making? Struggling. Struggling. Yeah, try, try, you've been a professional athlete just chasing the freaking, the dragon, mate. I've been a professional athlete, but not with a kid to try and provide yeah. for as well. Like. Well, man, if you never, you never know if you never go, really. Yeah, you know, how many people have said, oh, I would have loved to have done that or, yeah. you know, on their deathbed and go, fuck, imagine I tried that or I could have done this, you know. So I feel I just try. You fail, you go back. You fall yeah. back to, um, you know, on, like yeah, I, you I had an plumbing, yeah. yeah, you know, I was a qualified plumber. So I just felt, and I did, I ended up falling back onto it because I tr- I think I milked it for six years. and Six years you're a pro wakeboarder. Yeah, well, no, I, made, yeah. I never really made it pro. I rode, I rode I was rode open mans and then was I competed in a lot of the professional comps, but was never going to be good enough, man. I was uh, with all my sports. I don't have I'm not that most skillful, but I usually go bigger and go harder, and uh, hence why I ended up having five knee operations. And um, yeah, and you know I was cut wheel coaching and uh, and stuff like that. So and like I said, I had just little fingers in pies. I did have uh, the I was contra- I had contractors for plumbers contracting out, so I was making little bits of money off them, yeah. but. Nothing, you know, I'd make 50 bucks a day off them or something, you know, where you know, if I was working, I would have been making, you know, 500 bucks a day. Yeah. So, no, we struggled. We struggled for a bit. And then it was, yeah, my wife was like, enough's enough. We've got an $80,000 boat sitting out there. You've struggling to make ends meet. We've got a family and yeah. we've got nothing, you know, like you can't even ride. I couldn't even ride anymore. My knees, I think I was on my fourth knee operation by then oh. and couldn't even ride anymore. So it was like, let's get serious and let's buy a house. And that was about... 26 or 7 I think we started looking at you know I went back into plumbing full time and we got a house by about I think 28 or something like that I think it was and then where does Muay Thai come in so I knew all the boys from Strike Force Gym I trained a few times over the years we played footy with a couple of the boys fighting um like I was saying earlier I was a bit of a rat bag and getting in punch-ons a bit and one of the boys, Danny Dadowski, my mentor and, and really good friend in Muay Thai, he's, he's like, come down to the gym, I think you would love it, you know. And I, I went down and actually started training a bit while I was wakeboarding and, and um, just training a little bit and I really fell in love with it. Uh, I stopped fighting on the street pretty much, you know, once I started learning to fight and, um, yeah, loved the sport and did it for a little bit of fitness, a bit of cross training and stuff. Yeah. Um, then after my fifth knee operation, I kind of went into a bit of a slump for about a year and a half or so and, uh put on a bit of weight and was like done you know i couldn't do the sport i loved anymore and five knee operations I, I don't think i'd walked much in the last three years i was on, on and off crutches for like three years how's your mental health through these stages not getting to do what you kind of set your mind out to do and trying to maintain a positive mindset with a young family and yeah through those your 20s is hard enough without a kid i'm just trying to like wrap my head around yeah. my career if i had a kid as well like must have been tough. Well, I think that he was that he was the it was very tough. And like I definitely during those times was super deep and dark. But this is where um, some people use uh, traumatic incidences or stuff that happens to them as an excuse, and some people use it as motivation. Mm, I, hero or victim? Yeah, exactly. Yeah, and I was down. Don't worry, I was down d- dark in a lot of times and didn't have the tools to uh, as that I do now um, to handle depression because I still suffer depression quite severely now. Um, but I think I just got I just got through. Like my wife supported me, um, and just got through. I mean, you know, doing all the stupid stuff back then too, smoking bongs and all the stupid stuff you do kind mm. of back then, you know. Um, but just got through because I knew I had to for for my young fella. Yeah. Um, yeah. Yeah. Just you just get through, I suppose. Um, I wish I knew what you know. Which I want to we'll catch up to once we get to sort of present 
day luch like the mindsets the skills the things that you do now because um yeah harry said you're a very wise and great mentor and have some really good techniques to just sort of and just ways to view the world which is one of the things that i feel like we really don't get taught at school is just to, to look at the world through a different lens every now and then because there's some things that we can change that's so outside the system um but yeah let's talk about this movie tie part of your career because on your social media this is australian champ movie tie australia's toughest man pretty cool little titles to have so um yeah finishing up after your partner says no nah, no more of this sport stuff you land back in another sport yeah, yeah I, did, I did yeah and head, yeah, head deep so so yeah like i said there was a couple of years of quite down and then i started training getting fit again and then that's when this is a huge relief for mental health and uh a big part of my life from this stage on to battle depression and started just training and by this stage, my older son was five, I think, now, four or five. So we started taking him down the gym and he started training. And I was, at this stage, I was still uh, still recovering from the knee injury. And I started watching him train. And uh, then they he got ready for a fight by the time he was about seven. So he was had his first fight at seven. But How's um, mum letting... I guess if you said mum was a little bit rough in, in those last year, the high school and was a bit yeah. at the mum's had, mum's had a few battles herself. Yeah, oh, yeah, nah, it's, uh, yeah, yeah. So she she was fine. Obviously, watching your kid fight is scary. Is yeah. gnarly. Yeah, yeah. Um, so yeah, so he kind of was getting ready for his first fight, and then I started training properly. And uh, you know, my, my I was coming back from my injury. I was getting better. I was better, and uh, he had his first fight. And I think about six months after that, I had my first fight. In Muay Thai, I'd had a couple of boxing fights before that when I was trying to beat the depression a little bit after that real my fifth yeah. operation. Um, and boxing was fun, but it never clicked as much as Muay Thai. I just loved Muay Thai. And yeah, so then I, we both had our first fight and then it was 10 years solid of full-time Muay Thai. Uh, we moved, even moved to Thailand. and Wow. Yeah, we both fought competitively and, and at the top of the sport for, um, yeah, for, for about 10 years. Um, so... At this stage when you're training Muay Thai, are you um, working as well, like balancing the two pretty well now? Like you've found a way to balance the plumbing and the Muay Thai or once again did you go head first? Because I can imagine it's probably pretty hard to make a living out of being a Muay Thai fighter. It, it is, yeah. And I was I was working full-time at that stage. Uh, yeah, so yeah, I was a doing, mortgage, it, yeah. doing it six days a week. Yeah. Um, training in the afternoons, you know. Uh, and then... As I started getting better at Muay Thai, I was like, I need to give more time to this as well. Uh, I was contracting like, to, on high rises. Um, so I had, a, I had a couple of boys that were working with me as well. So I just gave them the work, was making pretty decent money off them then at that stage. Uh, I was personal training as well. So I'd do three classes in the morning. This is where Harry comes into the story. Um, I started doing my personal strength conditioning classes in the morning for more for like elite athletes. Uh, my sponsor back then punished fight gear and nutrition they put me through my cert three and four in fitness. Cool. Um, yeah. And then started training, um, uh, uh, like more so elite athletes. So just a bunch of little things, you know, to make, to make up. So mm. plumbing was not enough to survive off. Uh, the personal training was enough to su survive off a little bit of money that. I was getting from fights. Definitely wasn't enough money to, uh, to survive off and uh, a little bit of DJing here and there, just little bits and pieces, man, you know. Um, Make it work. Yeah, exactly. You, you, you just hit the nail on the head. Make it work um, to, to do what I could do, yeah. So I ended up, yeah, diving into it full-time then. I was training twice a day, um, six days a week. Do you think, because you kind of like brushed over it real quickly, that you stopped fighting in the streets once you um, began to learn it as a martial art and understand the kind of discipline that comes behind it, how important do you think that was for you to become the man you are today to not be someone who gets in brawls on the street, to not be the aggressive outside of the gym guy? Are you like, do you look back at that and be like, it was such a pivotal point in your life to yeah. learn it as an art and to make it a bit more like, cause you seem like such a mature guy now that I can imagine probably don't go and punch people out in the streets anymore. Yeah, mate. Yeah. Not, not for a long, long time. Yes. Yeah. So how important do you think that was for the maybe direction and mindset change for you as a man finding martial arts? It, it was uh, an absolute major. Like, you know, the path I was going down would have ended up in jail. Um, so to learn learn that you don't need to fight. Like, you you can get out of 99.99% of fights on the street. You literally can get out of nearly every, every yeah. situation possible if you have the right tools to do it, you know. Um, there's just no need to be violent. Like, there's no need, you know. Well, well 
there is some instances, but to protect you know, yourself. Yeah, yeah, yeah. There is really no need for it, um, and it's just not a, the person I wanted to be. And look, I don't have any regrets of that younger me because I feel like every minuscule second of your life makes you the person you are. Like we said earlier, the good, the bad, the traumatic, everything, every mm. little part of what's happened to me or what I've done has made me the person I am today. Learning lessons from it. I've maybe been a bit of a, a dickhead getting in fights all the time. Well, not maybe, like, yeah, being a dickhead. Look back at your life, the way you were brought up, it's like the self-beliefs and the kind of traumas that we do carry really shape the way we are. Like you said, if your dad before he um, took his life was super aggressive, like you kind of briefly brushed over, your mum had other partners who mightn't have been great role models. It's kind of all you knew. It's like, yeah, it's hard, yeah. but it's like it takes a big man to be able to make a change and not blame your story on your actions for the rest of your life and really find that pivot point. And and that's what I was doing too. And you don't move forward if you're blaming everything that happened. You know, I used to do that. I used to be, uh, you know, my dad left me and everything yeah. bad's happened to me because of that. And there was a huge pivotal point too. Another one that I went and uh, me and Portoini were struggling a little bit at one stage there and we went and seen a counsellor. And the counsellor, a marriage counsellor, kind of, you know, and yeah. then after that, the counsellor pulled me aside when we were leaving. He's like, man, have you ever talked to anyone? Like, you have a fucking gnarly story. Like, you need, like, you should talk to someone. Yeah, like, you need some help. And I'd yeah. never talk to anyone. Like, I, I, like I said, that point when I got told I'm the man in the family, so I never put another man above, like, I never respected another man above me. I'd seen all those partners that were violent to my mom. I, that's, this is why I was a bit of a violent man, because I wasn't, being violent towards women, I was being violent towards men because I just had this really bad outlook on men. So mm. I just wanted to bash men that were bullies and yeah. stuff like that, you know. Um, so, yeah, I ended up seeing a counsellor talking, which is the first time I'd ever talked about anything, you know, and was just like, when I walked out of that counsellor session, I was like... How old were you when this was? I would have been like 24. Okay. Yeah, and was just like, whoa, what the hell? I just felt so, like I felt tall. I felt like the world had been lifted off my shoulders. And yeah, it was such a gnarly experience to actually talk out and just someone to sit there and listen and say, and um, it's not your simple, fault. Yeah, 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 yeah exactly. Yeah, fault. yeah. Just Empathize. And say yeah, and, yeah. And just, I thought this drink was going to give me some good vocabulary. <laughs> <laughs> Mate, it'll come, it'll, it'll come. come. You're yeah, doing yeah, very yeah, well. It um yeah so you know like it just was yeah it's not your fault and i was like wow wow you know yeah it was such a big big moment of my life and i from that moment on all the negative that i had all that negative and aggression and uh negative energy i turned flipped it around and turned it positive and from that day on all that so what you see now and this person you get now Reverse that into negative, and that's what the person I used to be, and what I am now is the the opposite of that. You yeah, because you have so. such good energy and such good like positive energy as well. Like you can feel it sitting next to you. I'm sure everyone listening right now can feel it through their ears, and it's really cool to know that you can find that moment, and that it was by seeing a psychologist. And I think it's a great example for anyone out there who might feel a bit lost, feel like they haven't really had anyone to speak to. I think there's some a crazy stat like. 60% of men say they don't have somebody that they feel like they can actually talk to and be honest. Yeah, oh, like, I, wouldn't be, I wouldn't believe it was higher. Yeah, yeah. it's crazy. Yeah. So it's like, I think that's a good example, just a good um, little point for anyone listening right now. If you feel like you are a bit lost, like the strongest men are the one who can put their hand up and say, you know what, I need to work on myself. There's things that I need to change to make myself a better person. Yeah, yeah, and that's, I really feel, and I speak about it a lot now, like I... um you know, I'm quite open about my depression and I even remember a, a chat I had with Harry when um, I think one of his family members was suffering a little bit of depression and Harry didn't really understand it. And then one day he was with me and I was saying about how I was depressed and he's like, what, you get depressed? I'm like, yeah, man, like I suffer it bad. Like, you know, I go through some pretty bad, you know, stages, like can't mm. leave the house. And he was like, what, if you do, like this must be a thing, you know? Yeah. And I was like, yeah, man, you know, so speaking about it and i'm quite open about nearly everything in my life some people say a little bit too much sometimes but i feel it can help you know if it helps like some people sometimes think i'm bragging or something about what my life is and this and that and i was oh i did this today we, we jumped out of way we surfed this morning then we jumped out of planes we rock climbed and you know life's amazing and people are like oh yeah as if you did that i'm like it's not bragging i'm just saying trying to say how good life can be yeah, yeah like, this, is, this is life man it's amazing take it by the balls and and live it like yeah. um yeah, so 
so yeah, speaking about this, and I, I feel more people need to speak about it for sure. Like I'm, you know, I'm a massive advocate for it. I would love to. I've always I've wanted to touch into a little bit more, maybe you know, speak a little bit more about it. Um, we've actually got a project going at the moment that is a charity based project. Uh, we can talk about it a bit later, but that's um, you know, trying I'm trying to help out of you know, bringing monies into in char into charities. Um, so, you know, there's obviously mental health in that. So we're trying to give back a little bit. Yeah, um, amazing. Yeah. Well, let's catch back up to that part of the story. I want to quickly go through this Muay Thai part of your career to get to a point to be Australian champs, pretty big deal. And then tell me about Australia's Toughest Man competition. How'd that come about? Yeah, so, um, so yeah, like I won a couple of Aussie titles along the way. Uh, we moved to Thailand. We were over there for about a year and a half and we come back. It was kind of at the end, getting towards the end of my career. I think I was about 36 now. And uh, my wife was like, oh, you're done. I'm the, you know, I'm sick of your dieting and training all the time and being grumpy. And so we got back and I retired. And then about a year later, um, I'd seen this comp. It's called the Aussie Toughest Man. It was um, all styles. You had to be invited into it. It was over 80 kilos and under 80 kilos. Uh, 16 people in each division. Uh, and you fight through the night and, you know, you just, you win, you go on the next one, you win, you win. Oh, you know, so you end up having, having four, four fights in the night. And I seen that and I was like, I'll win that. <laughs> and it was 20 grand, which was, you know, was like, a bit of money. <laughs> yeah, I just, I just like, I just knew that, uh, yeah, I was like, I'll win that. That's my jam. Like, Muay Thai is a pretty good discipline to have like, what was it? Was it like cage match fight? It or? was K1 rules kind of. So it was in a ring. Um, so you could kick. Uh, you could do one knee, very K1, you could, and boxing, but you couldn't do like, – so there was MMA guys in it, but you couldn't take people down to the ground. Oh, okay. Uh, we couldn't clinch and hold on a knee. Uh, you couldn't elbow. Uh, in the final, you were meant to be able to elbow. But I just knew it was going to be a competition of smart, Endurance being smart well. and, and tough, and which I knew I was. Like I was not the most skillful fighter, but I trained hard. I knew I'd be fitter and stronger than everyone in that division. I knew it. I just like, oh – did you fight that. the under 80? Yeah, I fought the under so 80. Cut yeah. down, see. Well, I fought, I used to fight at 74 kilos. Oh, so um, yeah, so 80 kilos for me was really easy, you know. Yeah. Like I'd only been retired for a year. I was sitting at about 86 or 85 kilos, I think, you know. So to get to 80 was easy. I didn't even have to, I just cleaned Start up my training. Yeah. yeah, yeah. Um, so yeah, so that I was the first fight of the night. Um and was the last fight of the night and won the thing. Glo what sort of gloves was it? Uh, they were bo boxing gloves, so boxing. Normal, normal boxing gloves. Uh, we were 10 ounce under 80 kilos. Or 8 ounce? No, 10 ounce. Yeah, 10 uh -huh. ounce. So just normal boxing gloves. Uh, yeah, and, and like I fought a, a MMA, MMA guy in the start. Um, beat him pretty easily. Like he – I probably could have stopped him, but there was no need. I was outpointing him. And this is the thing. I was in a stage of my career in life that I – could be uh, smart enough. Could be smart enough. I lost. I lost. I lost a bunch of fights from winning and thinking I'm going to stop the guy and then get cut. Like I got cut real easy. I got big scars all over my head, you know. And with Muay Thai, all it takes is one little elbow. It doesn't even have to hurt, but yeah. it opens you up. And yeah, so I lost a lot of fights from being stupid. So I was like, I can, I can win this because I got the smarts. I'm fit enough and strong enough. And yeah, so beat him on points. And then the second guy was a boxer who. Mate, hit, I've never been hit so hard. He was a, he was a big Islander boy, lovely guy. Um, yeah, so I ended up just leg kicking him because I went I went in and boxed him at the start. I threw a couple punches and he hit me, and I was just like, "Holy shit, I'm not getting hit by this guy again." So I just leg kicked him twice and stopped Chop, him, and, chopped him down. Yeah, and then I fought a Thai boy, uh, Apposite, who he fought at like 68 kilos normally, but he had 300 plus fights. Like, it was one of the world's best fighters. Um, I've been living in Thailand. I know how they fight. I know their style. And I just outpointed him. It was a very pretty close fight, but I just outpointed him. And then I fought this uh, MMA prodigy in the final. And same thing, just outpointed him. Uh, he was really good. Super close. Um, super close. Like it nearly could have gone either way. I, I knew I'd won. Like I knew in the fight when I... I feel it. Yeah, yeah. yeah. When, you, when he had given everything and, and wasn't stopping me. And um, you just know. You know when you know between fighters when you kind of... Don't give up, but when you're like, yep, this guy's yeah. got me, you know, like, um, yeah, anyway. So, yeah, won that. So, it was it was awesome. It was good money and, um, yeah, it was a pretty – it was a good way to finish my career. Or even though I'd already retired, I retired when I, coming back from Thailand. A lot of my friends hadn't seen me fight for a lot of years. 
So it was, it was at hometown. I think we had like seven tables and hundreds. I sold a couple One hundred night. tickets. Wow, that would have been a, how sore and bugging me by the end of the night. Uh, yeah, like, oh man, yeah. I was <laughs> pretty banged up. Worse than any of your other fights, like that night <sighs> more cooked? No, no, no. Like I'd been, ba- I'd been beat up a bit more than that. Like five rounds of Muay Thai, like proper Muay yeah. Thai, like he's freaking brutal. Fighting guy, like... You know, mate, you usually get, you get banged up by leg kicks and that. So when yeah. you're fighting a guy and you fight five rounds of more, proper Muay Thai with it someone who's a big walk. leg kicker, mate, I'm, you're sore for months. Like you're waking up in the middle of the night for a month because you're you're not your legs bruised, your bone is bruised. Oh, you know, bone and it takes it takes fat. a lot of time for that bruising oh. to come out. You know, so um, yeah, but like I was pretty I was pretty sore, but the elation of everything, you know, it was mm. a pretty good way to finish. I don't know many fighters that have actually finished as on top. Yeah. you know, so. I was done and super content. Like, cool. I got offered to go back and fight again the next year to defend it. And I was just like, nah, man, I'm done. Like, I'll retire chap- the yeah, toughest yeah, man. Fully, yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah. But Aussie's toughest man. <laughs> man, that's such a cool story. Like, that career from like, I had no idea that like the wakeboarding as well. Like, it's so cool that you've gone from plumber to bit of a rough kid, wakeboarder to then finding fighting and really sort of centering yourself and actually seeing it as a, the art that I guess martial arts are. And then obviously raising a family during this time as well. So what was that next stage like when you finish your career in fighting going like, all right, where now was it back to plumbing or was it like, all right, I need to share some of these lessons I've learned in life with um, younger people. Where did you see yourself? You obviously had the strength and conditioning where you met Harry, where did, um, yeah, this mentoring younger guys to sort of take life by the balls is sort of how he described you, what you taught him. Yeah. Well, I think that just kind of organically grew really with that, with everything that was happening. Um, I did a lot of other sports that got put back on the back burner. So skydiving was a big part of my uh, oh, sports as well. Got some really scary skydiving story. Got some pretty cool, uh, yeah, we got a pretty cool skydiving and uh, base jumping stories. But um, Give me one. Give me a scariest moment. Of what? Uh, okay, so skydiving, I, we're, we're actually right in the midst of making a documentary at the moment called Impact. I was knocked out. Uh, at about 10,000 feet, completely KO'd. We were, we were doing an 18 way. It's called an angle. So there's 18 of you all flying like across the sky like this. Did you got people on the back. That, Harry probably wasn't meant to, but I'm pretty sure he showed me. My, my, yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, it's going to be, it should be released about mid to end of this year uh, or late, late this year. Sorry, there's the documentary and it's all about mental health and recovering from traumatic incidences and, and wow. stuff like that. Uh, it's called impact because the noun of impact is two objects colliding and the verb is the effect. So wow. the effect that this traumatic incident has oh, had on yeah. a lot of people. So long story short, I was knocked out, completely KO'd by another guy. He hit me. He was probably doing about 800 kilometers more than me. So he hit me at probably 100 kilometers. And now his knee in the back of the head. Uh, I fell out of the sky. Can and he shatter his knee or something too? Completely exploded his knee. It's <laughs> it's over two years now and he's still in recovery. They're talking another, like a fifth operation. He, uh, he, so he hit you pretty hard. He hit me his, yeah, 100K an hour knee to the back of the head, um, crushed in my helmet. Lucky he didn't die just from the impact. Exactly, man. you know, yeah, like just, yeah, so, super lucky. But yeah, knocked me out. I fell out of the sky. I started coming conscious, but I can't, I couldn't remember anything. One of the boys dove down to me like a James Bond movie and tried to get to me and, and couldn't. He had to pitch his parachute uh, at a quite a low altitude and I just kept falling and he, you can hear him screaming like, no, no, Luge, no. He's like, fuck. And you just see this little dot like me falling out of the sky and it looks like I impact the ground, but we have a safety device called an AAD and it registers when you fall through a 1,000 feet yeah, or, yeah. Uh, at, a, at a set your res- height. Like, yeah, your safety. Yeah, it falls and it registers. You should be going slower. So it fires your reserve and it fired my reserve and the first speed change was uh, about 580 feet, I think it was. And my canopy actually opened and flew forward at 136 feet, which is like 36 meters above the ground. My canopy actually inflated and flew forward. I still didn't do any inputs controls. We flew, it was right down in Byron Bay, right beside the highway. Um, power, I literally fly underneath and land underneath a set of power lines on a beautiful green bit of grass in the, in the front of a farmer's house. I could have landed on the highway. I could have landed anywhere, you know. Oh my God. Yeah, and land on the ground. So that was, yeah, pretty. Pretty gnarly one, but um, that was two years ago. Yeah, yeah. Man, I can't wait to see the docker. That's like, um, like what a 
story to be able to survive and talk about. Have you read or heard much about M. Carey's story? M. Carey's story? No. The who's... girl who fell from the sky? Oh, oh yes. I have. Um, I did look up that a little bit. I have her on my yeah. podcast soon. I've chatted to her about she it. She was yeah. doing a tandem. and the tandem and the shoe didn't go and she landed on the guy and they both survived. Yeah, yeah. It was, doesn't make it, any it's sense. It's actually happened a few times, man. No no shit. It has actually happened uh, a few times. It's, Does uh, that just blow your mind that people can fall from the sky onto the ground and survive? And then people can fall off of the first step and, and die, you know. That's, man, she, she tight. Like Life. I actually had a few incidents in a row. I had a base jumping accident literally uh, three months before that, where I my canopy opened in like a two seventy, spun me around, flew straight into a guide wire, wrapped right around the guide wire, slid down, hit uh, the joiner. I can't remember the actual name. Hit that, ripped all like ripped the nose cell, ripped every oh, line on the right hand down. side. Bar two lines. I only had half canopy inflated and pretty much nearly. I think I've seen that video too. Actually, yeah, I think I wasn't meant to. Harry was. Harry's not meant to show. I don't think he was there. I have seen that one too. So no, I've seen both. Yeah, I'm I'm certain I've seen both. That one. That one's all right. That one's there to be out. But the the actual uh, the collision of the skydive we're not releasing until uh, the documentary. Yeah, I just saw Um, very very. Yeah, no, no, a lot of people have seen it. I can't even believe it hasn't been released yet because it is. Oh my god! You couldn't even if you were trying to make a blockbuster about a skydiving accident, you couldn't come up with the footage we've got. Yeah, there was 18 of us on the jump. There's all different camera angles. There's on the ground when we land, you know, like I land and I'm like, oh, and then one of the boys who followed me down, he lands over near me and he lands really hard and I'm still trying to figure out what's going on. I don't know what's going on yet. And I'm like, whoa, are you right, Roger? And he's like, oh. am I fucking right? And he's running over and I'm like, you're right? And he's like, am I right? And oh I'm still, God, then, then it's all processing, you know? And I'm like, oh, what what, what happened? So did skydiving come into your life post the um, post your fighting career? No, I mean, I was jumping like, I've been jumping for 15 years, okay. 16 years, but it was on the back end. And then fighting takes over everything in yeah, your life. Yeah, that's what I mean. Surfing. So once the fighting nothing. stopped, you started taking the jumping a bit more seriously. Yeah. And this is where we where we went and we were saying how it all, where I am now organically grew from after fighting. Because fighting literally is who you are. There's yeah. nothing else outside of it. Like even your family gets put on the back burner. Like, mm. um, and yeah, and then I just, yeah, training people and back in jumping and just back telling my story, like like you said, just speaking and like uh, connecting with Harry and all the, all the Moto boys, and they and just I don't know, just kind of organically grew that people would come to me and and ask me for advice and help and and before I know it, I'm like, holy shit, I'm getting old. I'm the, I'm giving advice to people, you the know, mentor. like yeah, yeah, exactly. I didn't yeah, the mentor you know. that you never had. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Let's go down that line for a second. What sort of advice do you have for like? I guess young men who are maybe a little bit lost, like when Harry and that and a few of those guys come to you, what are some of the values and some of the skills and techniques that you do have in your toolbox now that you use to manage your depression, to manage those difficult times that we do find ourselves in life? Yeah, well, uh, it really depends too on their situation, where they're at. But yeah, like um, obviously just to... I feel like breath work is just breath work, yoga, taking time out just to be, to be with yourself um, is huge because you don't do that when you're younger mm. and you don't have the tools to know how to do that. You just keep all this noise in your head and you never actually solve anything or, or take the time. self-awareness yourself. Exactly. Uh, yeah, take time to step back, focus on yourself, becoming a better person, not using the big thing we talked about before is not, not being a victim, using anything that's bad that's happened to you as motivation. Because uh, it is so easy to use it as an excuse, mm. and um, then you get stuck in that same old rut that's using it as an excuse. But yeah, just really to um... oh man, I don't know. It's, it's, very, it's, it's quite, it is a, it's, it's very a hard question. It's a, it's a hard question because yeah. it's a blanket just question. To, it's just like what are some of the sort of non negotiables that you do now? I'd like breath work's a big one for me too. Like I did breath work this morning. I'm going to yoga. The savo after this. So two things you've like kind of nailed in the head that are important to me, but. Yeah, what are sort of some of your techniques that you make sure you're doing or what do you know your mental health sort of declines when you stop doing? Yeah. So like I said, breath work and, and um, yoga and positive affirmations, I literally do it every, every day, every single day. And if I don't, if I miss two or three days, I can feel it. Mm. Um, activities, be, being active, being um, physically active and mentally active as well. So keeping... Uh, having projects, having goals, setting goals, challenging yourself. Exactly, challenging yourself. Um, being part of nature, like getting out of nature, getting out of the city, and just going and being part of nature, or whether it's on the beach as well. Mm. 
is a huge one. Uh, and, and a huge one for me too was to lose your ego a bit, um, to find out who you really are. And sometimes you need to go, like I did, I went and did uh, the toad ceremony. I've done a few ceremonies. Cambo. Five, uh, five MEO, DMT. Um, so you do it with the shaman. So five MEO, it's, it's hands down the strongest psychedelic in the world. Uh, yeah. You would have heard Joe Rogan More and Mike Tyson. And What's that? More than DMT. It is DMT. Okay. So there's there's NN DMT, so the two Ns, and then there's 5-MeO, which is DMT but with another molecule attached to it. Uh, and it only becomes, it's it's the poison secreted off a toad that's only found in this tiny little desert between Mexican and US border. Mm-hmm. Uh, and you smoke it through a pipe, it's like a crystal, and uh, it lasts about 15 to half an hour, 15 minutes to half an hour, and um, it's called the God Molecule because... With normal NNDMT, it's you experiencing. You, know, you might talk to entities and you know see all this stuff, but it's you. With five MEO, uh, there's no you anymore. You are just everything. Um, mm-hmm. So how I got onto it was I heard Mike Tyson talking to Joe Rogan about it, and Joe Rogan said to Mike Tyson, "Like, how did you become so reflective? Like this, you know, you could seen Mike Tyson. He was the baddest man on the planet. And then he, he's yeah, just this super beautiful, um, reflective human, you know. And he said, "What happened? He goes, I lost my ego. I smoked the toad and." And find it, found out who I really was, because your ego is this person, the person, this this thing that protects you, you know, and, mm. and it's there. You need it, it's, and it gets you things in life. Like if without a, a good strong ego, you won't have the drive. It's a bad rap ego. Like, it, it does. Ego, yeah. like ego is ass, but then it's also learning that you're not your ego as well. It's the biggest like paradox there. It is like ego. It's like you need ego to be a strong, resilient person, but then you also need to. Be able to detach from it. Not be consumed by it. Not be mm. consumed by it and let it... So when did you first do, um, yeah, this trip? Because it's so funny. I feel like stuff like this gets such a interesting sort of view through the eyes of the um, public. But, yeah. I, I mean, I've had experiences with different things along my career that have been super interesting. When I lived in Byron, we did... Um, my friend who I was living with who I have life cycle, the mushroom tincture brand, took us and we did a... Um, peyote ceremony yeah yep yep. it's probably like the mildest sort of psychedelic that you can do that's with a shaman and in like a sweat lodge but then there's like ayahuasca is like the next sort of step and then like the um yeah the modality that you went through so where'd you where'd you do it and how'd you come Uh, about because it's quite difficult to find it is don't have to give away (laughs) no no it's all good man it is and it it, like uh the toad will find you as well like you can't go searching it out and if you are searching it out it's not the right time mm. um or it's not you know um i just heard i just started listening to podcasts and just was trying to better myself and educate and listen to podcasts and was being reflective and, and unlearn what society's put in your brain mm, you know what yeah, I mean? yeah exactly yeah and just i don't know I was, I was on a bit of a self-discovery doing breath work and all this stuff just trying to become a better human and started hearing it all about hearing about it and then i heard mike tyson talk about it i was like wow like my, like I'm, Mike Tyson was my, you know, I look, Mike Tyson is my favorite boxer, and I was like, man, this is the baddest man on the planet, and he's this beautiful, reflective man, and I wonder who I am. Like I wonder who I am without my ego. You know, I'd love mm. to do this, and I, mate, I'd never even taken many psychedelics then. You know, like I was kind of the same stigma as everyone. Oh, psychedelics, you take yeah. it, never come out. Yeah, and this and that, and um, funny we get told those stories. Like, <laughs> yeah, get stuck in a trip, like. Yeah, created by, you know, media and people that, you know, it's a whole other rabbit hole we can go down that one of why it's bad. I feel it's getting accepted a lot more now and it's getting spoken about a lot more. But, um, yeah, I just was thinking about it and then I just, uh, one of my buddies who lives out at Nunnabar Valley Way just said to me, man, I think you would enjoy this. I've got, there's a a ceremony going on in this location. Um, Would you be interested? And I was just like, what the fuck? I was just like thinking about this. This like, stuff actually happens around here? Yeah. I was like, what? Like, you know, yeah. So I was like, yeah, man, for sure. And went out there and literally changed my life. Like uh, another one of those pivotal moments. Um, it just changed me again. I become so reflective and just I could start speaking my emotions a lot more, um, talking about depression a lot more. Talk- this is this is a big part to play with becoming the person I am too Harry and the younger crew and to even, you know, older people, whatever, you know, just to my friends and family um, was just learning who I really was, mm. not the person I thought I was through my ego, who I actually really was as I am this sensitive kind of guy that, you know, is actually doing all right, you know, like and has some wisdom to give people, you mm. know, because you don't have that 
you always have self-doubt in yourself and I actually was learned that I'm a pretty good person, you know, yeah. like, and can help people. So, um, yeah, it was a huge, huge change. And uh, I've done two, two ceremonies now and um, that was a couple of years ago, my second one. And, yeah, like I'm sure I'll do more. I, I definitely don't. I've had the opportunity to do more and I actually, the last time I had the opportunity, I was like, oh, do I need it? Maybe I do. And as soon as mm-hmm. I started thinking like that, I was like, no. Yeah, like not the right time. No, yeah. Whereas this, you know, the second time I was offered it, it was like, wow, I, I still need. I. Yeah. It's more I need to learn right now. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. Exactly. So, um, yeah, yeah. It's very interesting, man. It's so good to see that mushrooms and that are starting to get used now. Like I think Australia is the first country in the world to start prescribing mushrooms for um people with you know mental PTSD, health issues. Yeah. 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 And it's. I've researched it a lot. Um, my shaman is, he does huge things for PTSD um, for American soldiers and stuff like that. Huge results. Like the results are insane. Mm. Um, but this is a whole other thing, you know, is it's uh, something that grows organically. It doesn't cost people money. Big pharma loses out. So they don't want us to be healthy and, and you know. Yeah, it's it's just wild, isn't it? Like I look at, there's so many like angles we could take this conversation, the idea that, mushrooms grow out of like cow poo and it's illegal yeah like marijuana is like illegal but it's like there's these are all these medicines that have been used for thousands of years by every culture and every generation around the world up until the last 50 years since we've created pharmaceuticals and now they've been all outlawed like no these are really bad for you these are the worst things ever but here take these what we created in a lab and eat this and keep eating it and paying us for it once you start to question that like i mean i'm I work in mental health, so I feel like kind of be pretty careful the way I talk about this stuff, but I feel like I'm pretty open-minded to understanding that we've got by for a long time without pharmaceuticals humans, that there's got to be something in that. You know Uh, what I mean? Like things like yoga, breath work, meditation, kindness, gratitude, all these things don't cost anything. When you start to really question the capitalistic system that we live in, it's like, well, who benefits if we start doing all these things that are natural that we can do ourselves, we benefit, but nobody financially benefits. Yeah, exactly. So it's yeah. like, the, yeah. Yeah. And that's when- like, I had a full firsthand experiences. I was diagnosed with a bowel disease about 10 years ago, ulcerative colitis, put on medication for the rest of my life. Like, um, and I was at that time I was fighting full time. I was super fit and I just kept getting these blood infections like cellulitis and, and infection and, in hospital all the time. I, like, I was actually in Thailand and I was in hospital there and said to the doctor, I'm like, man, what's going on? Like, I'm the f- as fit as you get. I don't drink, I don't smoke, I train every day. And he's like, oh, colazide, the medicine you've been prescribed, it lowers your immune system. Did your specialist not tell you that? I was like, no. And he goes, oh, you just do these few things, take L- uh, L-glutamine and just some natural um, immune boosters. Uh, and he also said, he goes, you know, like, it, the Western science doesn't like to say it, but you know, um, ulcerative colitis I feel is controlled by uh, you know brought on by stress. And I like I'd asked the doctor what brought it on, and they were like, no, no, this is nothing. And I was quite a, I am quite a stressful person, you know. And I was like, holy shit! So I learned to manage my stress, change my diet a bit, up my um, natural immunity. Been off medication. I've been in remission for seven years. Like you know, it's like all just by. But imagine how many people are just on a medication, yeah, and have just said yes to it because we don't know better than the doctors. But it's like doctors are working for the pharmaceutical companies as much as they're working for us to try. And don't get me wrong, the med like the medical industry obviously has had so many breakthroughs in making people live longer, oh, for sure. giving people yeah. far more chance. But. I think the proactive side of medicine is so far behind. Yeah, yeah, no, nah, man. There's, you know, like it's, you know, every medicine you take, you need to take another. You nearly need to take another tablet to counteract what the side effect of that one was. And yes, there's been some amazing stuff, and man, like we're living longer and all that stuff. Yeah. Like, but yeah, but yeah, there's not much like blueprint to get off medication. Usually, nah. it's like, yeah, yeah. It's, a, it's a pretty funny system. But I don't want to go too much into nah, that. No, no, nah, yeah. Let's be- um sort of to get to the end of this what have you been up to now what's the like last couple of years look like for you where do you see the next couple of years going for you obviously in such a happy healthy space right now it seems like you got a few kids who are adults now or on their way do, yeah yeah what's um yeah what's the future looking like for you? so yeah like uh, at the moment like, we're super busy we've got this this film impact uh that we're bringing out which we're hoping is going to um you know, inspire a lot of people to talk about. It's, it's like I said, it was de- delving right into mental health. Um, where 
Uh, got a, you know a sports psychologist on there, traumatic trauma, you know psychologist to speak about what happens to people with traumatic incidences and stuff. So that's a big project we have got going at the moment. Um, you know, uh, you can find it on my Instagram, and uh, it should be released about mid to, to late this year. Uh, and then we also have uh, Give and Get. It's an it's an app that we're developing at the moment, which we're putting a lot of energy into, and it's uh, about bringing just trying to bring donating to charity into the modern era, make it like fun and interactive uh, while linking um, doing the what's kind of quite a, a fad at the moment and stuff like that is doing um, challenges, you know, for, for charities. Mm-hmm. So we're kind of trying to bring it all together and put it in one space, put it in one app. Um, we're trying to bring the trust back into charities. So all the charities that are on our platform are screened and categorized with like a platinum bar, which means 100% of your dollar or, or you know, what you donate goes to the cause. Uh, gold is 85% and we rate them. So we take the hard work out and trying to bring the trust back into charities. Because mm-hmm. as you probably know yourself, uh, a lot of charities don't have a good rep. Uh, even when I go to donate, I'm like, oh, I wonder how much of this $10 mm-hmm. is actually going to the cause. So we're trying to take that out and, like I said, make it in, bring it into the mobile application era because a lot of charities are still door knocking. Mm-hmm. Um, like I said, make it fun, interactive and uh, use the social networking of people doing challenges. So you're not only donating and helping a cause, you're getting the reward out of doing the challenge as well. So we have physical, we have nutritional challenges, uh, mind and soul by meditating. And nice. uh, we have community as well, you know, picking up rubbish. And we also have like a leaderboard so you can challenge people around the world and, you know, yeah. so you can compete against it as well. And, and yeah, there's a whole big concept of that of version two is bringing corporations into this and, and uh, instead of just making it peer-to-peer of, um, you know, really bringing the corporate world in, into the app. And, yeah, we're hoping to see some really good things with that and just make a change. It's, there's there's five of us that are in it plus uh, my wife, which makes six. Um, uh, the other five guys that are in it are, are four guys, sorry, are really good mentors of and friends of mine and we've all had the chat. You know, we're all kind of doing relatively well in life. We've all had ups and downs. And all wanted to give back, and mm-hmm. this is how we've the vehicle that we're we're hoping that's going to be able to uh, to achieve that. Okay, and, yeah. Um, yeah, so that's kind of we're writing the beta testing of that at the moment. Uh, so that should be a soft launch of that should be coming out shortly. And um, yeah, so some really exciting things. Uh, my boys are getting older. You know, my older son's got his own house. My uh, younger son, he's fifteen, and um, yeah, he's he's an amazing young man, and just. Yeah, keep living life. Um, keep maybe trying to inspire people as well along the way of just by living life to the fullest. Um, one of the big things of with my accidents, you know, I had those couple of near-death experiences uh, the last couple of years and a lot of people said, aren't you scared of dying, you know? like, And, and I, I was thought about it and I'm like, nah, man, I'm not. Like, not at all. But what I am scared of is actually not living, mm. not living life to the fullest. Not, I don't want to be... 90 years old laying on my deathbed and be going, fuck, I should have done that. I could have done that. I could have tried harder at this. I could have been a better person, you know. So right now I'm just striving to be the best person that I can be for myself and for my family and uh, and and it's, and it's the people around me trying to help them, bring bring them up as well. I love that. I actually read something on Instagram yesterday and I loved it. It, it relates a lot to that. It's like I want to die as young as possible but with the oldest age. Yeah. And it's yep. like... Oh, I like amazing. that. It yeah. was like you hear it at first. You're like, oh, I don't want to die as young as possible. You go, but the to biggest number possible. It's yeah. Like, oh, that's a good one. That is, man. It's it's amazing. And um, yeah, just keep being, just keep being a good human. Absolutely. Well, that's <laughs> yeah. the question that I'm going to finish on because I do ask um, all my guests the same last question. I've done ninety of them, and everyone's given a very different answer. So I'm going to ask it to you as well. What does being a good human mean to Mark Luch Lucchiari? Yeah, it's a big question. So first off, being good to myself, you need to be good to yourself and love yourself. Mm. I find a lot of people don't do that. And if you can't be a good human to yourself and, lo- and love yourself, which I struggle with every day, uh, accepting who and what I am and everything, uh, it, you know, master that and then that just spreads out mm. to everyone. Like you said, the vibe, this, you know, just being a good person to yourself and being that good person just spreads Radio. and all of a sudden you get people saying to you, I oh, look up, you know, like, you know, you asked the question before, when did you start, you know, knowing you were inspiring people? It's like, well, I didn't. It was just to people started telling me that I actually, you know, 
I've got a cool story and I mean, there's nothing better than people talking positively about you behind your back. I think yeah. that's like what everyone should aspire to in life. And yeah, obviously that's how a lot of people speak about you. And like Harry said so many good things. I feel like I'm very lucky that people would probably say quite similar things about me. And I feel like it comes down to living by values. If you can be very core in your values, then that's kind of where it all starts from. I guess last little question, what would you, if you had to pick your top three values, I don't know how much you'd, identify with certain values but if you pick top three values of yours that you want to make sure you live by each day what would they be i'll tell you do you want me to hear yeah let's see, let's see yours, yeah. so the five and this is what i run my workshop is all around living by values rather than living by achievements like if you can live by your values you're not going to be disappointed if you don't win the next surf comp it's like ah, well i've shown up as a good person sweet so my five are responsibility step one you've got to take responsibility for your own life gratitude empathy mindfulness and kindness yeah. If I'm practicing those five every day, if I'm mindful, if I'm being kind to people, if I'm looking through life with a bit of a different perspective sometimes with empathy and then being grateful for the life I live, like all the rest of my life since living to those values seems to have fallen into place around me. So yeah, what would be your couple values that are important? Yeah, a huge one for me is acceptance. Acceptance of everyone around me, no matter their situation. Um, I find we all get very, very easy to um, judge people mm. or and I feel the whole world set up to judge and so acceptance is, is a huge part of um, my everyday uh, gratitude is a is a huge is a huge one as well being grateful for everything uh, and it's another one that's so hard that I literally have to practice every day mm. um, yeah and and the, the value of positivity, of, of mm. spending positivity and, yeah. I bloody love it. Well, I feel every bit of that from hanging out with you today, man. It's been an absolute pleasure getting to know your story. Hopefully we can continue a friendship now after this. It's great to put a face sure, to man. the Instagram chat we've been having. And, yeah, man, if anyone wants to find you on socials, where's the best place? I will leave it all in the show notes, but now's your kind of last little moment to plug anything you want anyone if they want to find you. Yeah, cool. So uh, my Instagram is just Looch uh, and then our um, – the the give and get uh, so everything's on my on my um, Instagram so everyone just yeah, jump on my Instagram and then you'll be able to find the the impact documentary uh, see a bit of my my funny life and uh, and uh, yeah well yeah. mate I'll uh, leave it all in the show notes you can find it all there it's been an absolute pleasure getting to know you hopefully um, we'll push out the movie a little bit once it comes out and reshare the podcast but mate thanks so much for jumping on Good Humans mate, podcast thank you very much I absolutely appreciate it legend cheers, bro cheers. Hey, it's Paige DeSorbo from Giggly Squad. High quality fashion without the price tag. Say hello to Quince. I'm snagging high-end essentials like cozy cashmere sweaters, sleek leather jackets, fine jewelry, and so much more. With Quince being 50 to 80% less than similar brands. And they partner with factories that prioritize safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. I love that. Luxury quality within reach. Go to quince.com slash style to get free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. quince.com slash style.